If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. This is another of our popular listeners' choice interviews, which we're playing over the weekend. We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the listeners' choice winner. If you're not sure how the listeners' choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. Today's guest is Jill Buckfield. Jill's a horse person. She's also an equestrian trainer and coach, and she's been a dressage, show jumping, and eventing competitor. Now she's working as a psychologist. She's also coaching, but working as a psychologist. So she's acutely aware of the importance of a rider's mental attitude when riding, and because she's a coach as well, we sort of combine those two and talk to her about that today. How are you, Jill? I am well, thank you. It's a lovely day here today, so it's all good. Great day here today, too. Lovely sun shining, temperature's just about right. It's really good. It is indeed. It's rain would be handy as well, but look, we can't have everything. <laughs> yes. Okay. Now, Jill, your favourite quote. What's that one? My favourite quote is, not failure, but low aim is crime. Okay. Now, have you ever had a low aim and been told that? How did you actually get this saying? No, look, I, I just like it because it resonates well with me because it's not... Um, not probably me so much, but I've had a lot of riders over the time uh, when I've been at competitions who's, who've been struggling if they haven't gone as well as expected. And I've said, look, you've actually been able to make it here to the competition. That's a thing in itself. Um, you know, mm. to get a rider and horse fit and well to a competition and have qualified to various ones is a good thing in its own right. So trying to get some perspective around it, I guess. Yeah. And if you try and you, you don't necessarily go as well as expected, but you're giving it your best shot. And there's so many things that can go wrong in the equestrian world. Uh, oh. To even get to a competition is, is good in its own right. That's right. And, you know, no rider goes out there and wins every single time. No, no one does. Yeah. And I think it's those that are a bit fearful, thinking, oh, look, I won't go well, so I won't give it a try. But then they never even know where they stand with that. So um, I guess that's why it resonates well with me. But it's worth giving it a try and see how you go. And the other thing is, too, the only person you should be competing against is yourself, you know, yesterday, what you've done previously. Indeed, I couldn't agree with that more. I think one of the key things is to actually um, be aware of where you're at with your training. And if you're doing as well as you are at home in your training, well, that's great. If you're too reliant on what a judge says, certainly in the subjective sports like dressage, um, then it's a bit tricky or even happening for that matter. But if your horse is going well, then you can be happy with that in yep. its own right. And whether or not you get a rhythm, that can, that can be a bonus. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Now, I know you started to ride when you were five. What I'm interested more so is an early memory, you know, almost out of the mouths of babes, what your early memories were when you rode, you know, if you remember the first time you went riding or something like that. Oh, look, I can remember one of the first riding school horses I rode. I think it was in Tasmania and he was called Archie, a, um, a dun, and I can remember that. And he was just a little, a lovely little horse to ride. He seemed really big, but I was pretty small. Yep. So he probably wasn't that big, but I do remember that and that really – uh, yeah, it gave me a passion for the sport from from the moment I started riding, and I do remember riding that particular. Do you remember anything he did? Any any of his characteristics? Anything that you were worried about, or anything you thought was very good? 
he was a bit of an all-rounder. Um, I, I did a whole lot of things with him, albeit it was in a riding school situation, but sort of used to jumping. We'd go out trail riding with the groups and we were doing some uh, flat work back then as well. It certainly wasn't dressage in the, in the riding school, but we did a, a bunch of things with him. And I was pretty confident at, at, from when I started riding, so uh, that made it easy. But he was just... It was just fun. I found I really enjoyed it, and I guess that's been the thing throughout my entire time with horses, that I enjoy doing it. It's, it's a sport that I find just uh, it's a pleasure to do. It's, it's tough at times, and there's going to be some down times, but I, I still enjoy riding a horse if it's just going for a trail ride or, or some sort of competition. It's, it's the pleasure of actually being with a horse. It's not any riding them. It's when you hear them eating that nice sound they make and, mm-hmm. and the smell of them, just something about yeah. the, the animal. Now, there's something I've got to ask you about because sometimes I see competitions to give away a horse, you know, and I cringe. I just think, what are the prerequisites to just give away a horse? You know, how do you know that the horse is going to be well looked after, especially a competition horse? And in this particular case, I think it was a purebred Arabian yearling. You know, I would I would worry about that, but apparently – you got one of these. You got one of these. And what happened? I mean, how did you enter the competition? Tell us a little bit about that because that's every child who entered that competition that would have been the absolute dream to win that. And I think I might have entered it too, but I didn't win it. So I want to know <laughs> what happened. To... Uh, look, it was uh, a pretty an amazing time. And I, I would call it a life-changing, actually. Um mm-hmm. I was still, I think I was still at school at the time, and a, a friend of mine, she had actually gone in for a competition the year before, and she'd won a part-bred Arabian yearlings. Um, she had to write an essay, and it was the Adelaide Advertiser newspaper, and the um, Arabian Horse Society, the South Australian division that was uh, back then, and they had this competition, and then they were giving away a purebred yearling. And my friend said, you should go in for it. I went, oh, I've got no chance. And she said, look, I want it. So, in fact, I mine was different. I had a crossword and to say in 25 words or less why you wanted to win this particular yearling. I went in for it, put in the crossword, and was stunned that then um, I got a call saying, you've won a major prize. Wow. And I, my friend had said, oh, I think I might have won first, second, or third. And she said, mm, no, if you won a major prize, you probably won the horse. So went down to Victoria Park Racecourse, uh, with my parents at that stage, I was—I think I was only 15 or 16—and um, yes, was presented with this Arabian purebred Arabian building called Talquatahan. Uh, he'd already placed at the show. There was uh, an Arabian show on. He'd won, I think, champion gelding or something or other. He had—I know—he had a couple of ribbons around his neck. Mm-hmm. And the stud handed them to me. And the first time, I think it was Hillary Nickel from Talqua uh, Stud. The first thing she said to me is, uh, "Have you ever had a horse before?" Before she actually. Gave me the because uh, you had a. Um, it's show a bit late, isn't it? When when you've actually won it, <laughs> but you know, yes, at least they have asked that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. well, that's, you make a really good point. As it was, I was familiar with horses. In fact, had a, had a um, palomino at, at that point, um, but wasn't a show sort of horse. It was just a palomino, a general sort of horse I, I had. But this horse was obviously a, a very good quality, and they would selected him for his temperament, given they weren't sure mm. who was going to get him, as you say. I'd be a bit worried about giving one of my horses away. This a complete yeah, stranger. Yeah, but he was a lovely horse, and he really uh, started my competition career. And the uh, Nichols, Hillary and Bryce Nichols, and uh, their daughter Jenny, um, they were fantastic in in supporting me along the way and and helping me compete that particular horse. 
Now, as far as the competitions, you, you had him going up to national level. You did dressage, did. show jumping, um, eventing, polo cross, endurance, hunted him. What didn't you do on he him? He did just about everything. Yeah. He was an amazing horse. At the time, it was still, and, and may still be, a bit of a stigma against the Arabs that people are always saying, you know, they're just sails in the air and they snort and they can't do anything. And um, I would often be commented by people at various, various competitions, gee, he's going really well for an Arab. Mm. That would always be <laughs> the end. <laughs> and I kind of thought, well, actually, no, he's going well. Um, yep. Certainly when I started going in open competitions, there were some eyebrows raised, particularly in the dressage circles. Uh, the Nichols from Taupo Stud, they were competing some of their horses in open uh, competitions as well. But he was just such a good all-rounder. He had an amazing temperament and, yeah, just about did everything with him. I started off doing hacking and showing because I guess that's what where I started with him because they'd already done some of that with him as a, as a yearling and it was a good place to start and I sort of built up my confidence with that and then transitioned into doing some dressage uh, work with him and took him out and he was, you know, doing quite well for a, a young horse because I started him under saddle one. Yep. And it was my friend, Andrew McClare, who'd won the horse before. And so we, we had a horse which was a year apart. So we were helping each other start these horses. And she was competing with me as well. And then some transition, I guess, I started jumping him and did some jumping training, had a few various jumping instructors. And they said, oh, do you want to try some eventing? And I thought, give that a go. <laughs> he was only just 15 hands, so he only just scraped into the yes. uh, to the height. But he, uh, he was... Um, he didn't like any anywhere near the jump, so he used to jump really big and clear them with ease, which actually made him very safe for me as a cross-country rider. He was mm-hmm. he made sure he wasn't going to hang a leg on anything on these. He didn't want to get anywhere near them. So um, he was a safe ride. And, uh, yeah, he did he did really well, and I thoroughly enjoyed competing him. And he even managed the strides in between the fences, um, certainly in uh, – that was, was my issue because yep. he, yep. he was only small, but he had yes. heart uh, as big as he was. Yeah, yeah. Thinking about working in the horse industry, Jill, because you're a coach, but you're also a psychologist. So I'm sort of asking you from the psychologist's point of view, are there consistent traits that you see in people that work within the horse industry? You know, character traits, core skills. What sort of things do you see with people that are consistent? I think those that do well in the industry, particularly um yeah, I think really they're very fussy about the detail. Mm-hmm. I think often with, um, with people with horses that can get some problems, they let some what appear to be relatively minor things go and they let a few of those go and the horse by that is learning, well, that's okay, I can do that and I can do that. And then you can have a big, bigger problem if you're not actually really fussy yeah. about getting those small things right. So I think those that do well, um, they're really they're good on picking up the detail and picking the first stride that goes wrong rather than waiting until half a circle point where the, the horse is already showing some confusion and not understanding what's being asked. So the, I think the quicker you are and the, the better they are at um, correcting those things to help the horse understand, I think that makes some really um, terrific riders. Yes. And yes. they're definitely out there. And I think there's also a, a remarkable, for those that again do well, a, a dedication and commitment to the sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, life will happen, both good and bad things, to everyone. And getting a horse fit for competition, I think, is, is a big deal in its own right. Anyone who's been around horses for a long time knows things can go wrong. Yep. In my little Arab before the, uh, the Australian Nationals, he was kicked by another horse in a paddock a week out oh, from the competition. No. 
Yep. And I went, ah. And I thought, what can I give him that's actually going to be legal? Because I can't give him things that if he's going to be, yep. they're going to test him. So what can I give him that I still like to take into the competition? So I remember then just hosing and icing and just doing some really basic things. So I didn't ride him for five days and ride him, you know, two days out from the comp. And um, he actually, he came he came fifth in a um, pre-caprelli, which was fantastic. Mm. But it's... Things happen, and I would have pulled him from the competition had he not been found. But it's it's that capacity when things go wrong to still kind of pick yourself up and go, okay, this has happened. What can I do? Um, and and it can even be it happens again. People lose horses. Unfortunately, we we hopefully will outlive our horses, and um, things go wrong with them. And, and I've been in it, in this industry long enough to know that can occur. And to be able to get a horse fit and well, and yourself fit and well, or horses fit and well isn't necessarily easy. So those that I think are good at it will pick themselves up if something goes wrong, um, either with themselves or the horse or other things in life that happens and still still progress. Yes, uh, and I think yes. there's some core things that are critical for, for those that do really well in the sport. And, and just something you said there, you know, about having a horse getting kicked a week out of a competition, training a horse for the pre-caprilli, that's all taken place well and truly a week before. It's not like, oh, well, I couldn't take my horse in that competition because he went lame and I couldn't train him. All the training had already taken place. It was just a matter of nursing him, looking after him and just reminding him in that last two days, yes. you know, what it was all about. Yeah, yeah. Look, it absolutely it is. Mm. Uh, you know, if, if you're trying to get your horse right for a, for a you know, national level competition three days out, and then, yeah, it's not going to work. No. But things things do happen though, and and either to riders or to horses, you know, riders get injured as well, where they're not in riding necessarily at their best. But it's common. I, I don't know anybody who's been in this industry who hasn't had problems somewhere along the line uh, working mm. uh, horses. It happens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you get your fairy tales, but you get your tragic incidents as well. So, a bit of a mixture of both. Mm. And and in fact, for me, when um, my horse Chapter to Han, the one that I won, um, and he was really my first horse uh, that I'd done any competition with and, and because he'd done so well and was uh, such a, a lovely horse, he unfortunately died of colic as a 12-year-old and that was really devastating for me. I, it's the first time I'd lost a horse. I, there was no obvious reason for colic. I think it's just one of those dreadful things that can happen and it did. It's the first and last time he ever had colic and I, I was very close to giving up the sport at that point because I thought I can't do this again. Uh, I'm heartbroken. And uh, it was it was really tough to restart from that point because I just thought, no, enough. Um, this is just too difficult. And unfortunately, now because I've been around horses for many, many years, decades yeah. and decades, that I realise it happens and it yeah. still breaks your heart. Absolutely. But um, I still love the sport though, in spite of that. Mm. And if you can have a, a lovely relationship with a horse uh, for a period of time. Uh, value that time, and as, as long as it is, I, I'm, I'm grateful when I go out there every day and see all my horses with four legs under them and they're happily grazing. I figure that's all a good thing. Is that the best thing about the horse industry, the relationship you can get with your horse, or what, if you've got something else you'd like to talk about? Uh, look, I think uh, the relationship you have with your horse, but also the relationship you have with others in the industry, I think, is, uh, is good as well. Um, those people that I used to compete about, you'd see various um, different folks out and about in, in competition. And I also think it's the way you um, uh, you are as well in competitions, that if you can take it on the chin when you lose, everyone does, then I think that's that's really important on how you win and lose. It, it's easy to be a, um, a winner 
uh, but it's a bit more hard to uh, to take losses, and it's I think it's how you take that. But certainly, I think the relationship you get with your horse yep. is key, yep. which I think also links into where some folks they'll love their horse even though it's not a good fit mm-hmm. for them. I think the temperament of the horse and the temperament of the rider have got to fit um, well to have the best possible connection. Yep, and I think. It's tough to get. I think it's it's really tough to get where you get that really great connection. Yeah. And some are better than others. Sure. Yep. Yep. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available. And the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry... If you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book imagine maybe one day you could be a guest on horse chats tell us about someone who's helped you or some people who've helped you who's been you think the main person or people who've helped you well it certainly would have been uh hillary and bryce nickel from talpa stud when i won uh talpa to harm because i knew nothing about showing and they were fabulous so they were a big help they were at the shows, because they were a big stud, they were showing horses themselves, and they were incredible in, in helping me kind of learn how competition worked and what to do and, and how to prepare horses and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And it also then would have been when I uh, uh, lost to Han to Colic. Uh, it would have been Merv Bennett. I had to Han at his place. I was posted to HMAS Albatross in the Navy at that point, and I had my horse to Han at, at Merv's place uh, when he died. And as I said, I wanted to quit the sport, but Merv's um, generously said, "Look, we've got some horses here. If you, you know, if you want to go for a ride." I'd also actually bought a a weanling Anglo Arab. <laughs> Clearly, he was only a weanling, so I couldn't ride him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Merv was incredibly supportive, and so I sort of went for a ride on a couple of his horses, and then it kind of went, "I'll go for a ride again." And then I realised yeah. I really liked riding, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and he got me back into it. And and actually, just learning from him too, his his skills as a rider and his experiences were um, just phenomenal. And watching him work horses was was amazing. And, and I, I think I was very fortunate to be able to ride with him and and ride some of his horses. It was uh, yeah, it was an amazing experience. He's had an impressive career too, hasn't he? As a competitor, as an eventer, oh, yeah, amazingly so. Yeah. And you know, he's had the highs and lows as well. So, sure. um, and they again, it's. It happens, but it was his career and, and being able to watch him regularly as opposed to just seeing these elite riders, you know, every now and then at competitions was an amazing experience and to see how well he rode horses. And, again, he was fussy about the details as well and, yep. and was a very patient, yep. terrific rider. Has Tahan been the number one horse, do you think, or have you had others that have influenced you? Uh, look, there, probably Tahan would still be um, – because he was my first as well, I think there's something your first competition yes, for. Yes. And I, my little angler, unfortunately, he died of a heart attack at, as an eight year old. Uh, so, again, these things happen. I was, I was getting fairly rocky at that, having two horses uh, lose them in relatively close succession. Yeah. Um, that was a, a pretty tough 
but probably Saharan was the main one. I, I've had a, um, a warm blood mare, um, Cleveland Bay Cross, and we won a classic, and I was competing her to novice and went to the ride of the year of the National Capital uh, Christian Club in, for my age group, and she was a lovely horse, and I still got her. Um, she's in her 20s now, and she's semi-retired on my property, and I did have a lovely ride with her too. Yep, yeah. What do you think your proudest moment's been? Ooh, probably getting to Han, uh, well, initially getting into the state championships and, and placing at the state dressage championships. Yes. I think that was really important, and I, I love the fact that he was an Arab because it was kind of, there you go, he's, he's actually at this level, and then would have been the Nationals uh, with him uh, in, in the pre-release. I, I will forever remember that. That was yeah, incredibly important. Yeah, yeah. Mm. What do you think? I know you've talked about some challenges, you know, with the death of two horses quite young. Mm. What do you think your biggest challenge has been? I, I think it was, again, that staying motivated when things go wrong. It, it's very easy to um, get down when things go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's then tough to maintain that motivation. Yep. So I think it's hard regrouping after that. And certainly for me, I was getting a bit twitchy thinking, gee, I haven't, I haven't had a horse older than 12 years. Um, and you start questioning yourself, going, "What is it? What's happening to me?" And uh, again, these things happen. Yeah. But I think getting through those tough times is, is difficult. And for me, because I also had my my navy career, trying to juggle both, and many people I realise are juggling careers. Mm. Uh, and and when trying to compete, not everyone's full time in the equestrian uh, world. Some are, but but many aren't. They're still competing, and they're getting up very early, and they're going to their other job, and then coming back as I was when I was comp- uh, competing. So it's, it's tough to do that and maintaining that motivation and dedication and things that's yeah. tough. What would you say then for someone who's maybe had a horse that died, is, you know, quite distraught and isn't motivated, what sort of advice would you give them about getting back into the sport and continuing on and persisting as you have? I guess I'd be looking at what made them get into the sport in the first place. It's a good question, it isn't it? It is. If you can keep your eye on, on that, and for me, I certainly didn't get into competitions for the, the ribbons or to win. It was actually I enjoyed, and still do, I enjoy the training process. Um, I, I like you know, having young horses and, and when you're doing that and when you realise they've got it and it's just great. So if you enjoy the training process, then then it's worthwhile starting again with another horse um, or taking time for a horse to recover. Uh, but if, if you enjoy the process, mm. then that can keep you in the sport. Now, I love horses as well, so I, I just like having horses. I haven't now competed for sort of 10 or so years, but I still like horses. There's something something about them. I don't quite know what it is, yep. but there's something that I really like about them. And whether I'm brushing them or whether I'm riding them or feeding them, uh, there's something about them that I want, to, I want to keep with them. Yep, yep. And I think that's with others as well. Okay, okay. Thinking about being a judge, you know, judging at your local dressage competitions and coaching at the riding club or, you know, any of your own students, but also bringing in your profession as a psychologist, what's a common fault that you see with riders? Talking about mental attitude. I, I think you've got to be really cognizant of a, of a rider's anxiety and the impact on the horse as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I know there was some research done, I spoke to Andrew McGreevy years ago at a, at a conference and he was 
saying that there was a um, study done once where they had heart monitors uh, put on horses and heart monitors put on handlers and they told the handlers to lead a horse up and down a uh, dressage arena, so down alongside 60 metres. And they then told the uh, handler that on the fourth time when they were walking down, they were going to open an umbrella in front of the horse. Mm -hmm. Now, clearly the horse didn't know this was going to happen, but the riders did, or in this case the handlers, they had the horses led in the first instance. Now, when the handler turned forth on the fourth occasion, the handler's heart rate went up immediately followed by the horse's heart rate. Yes. Now, they didn't open the umbrella, but the horse, through a lead rope, was able to pick up that there'd been a change. Mm. And they did the same thing with um, ridden, ridden horses. Again, they didn't open the umbrella, but the threat was there. Yep. And as soon as they turned on the fourth to do the fourth time down, also, uh, the rider's heart rate went up, followed immediately by the horse's heart rate. So it says a lot of how in tune horses are as fight uh, flight animals to our own anxiety. And I think that can feed into horses if riders become more and more anxious. And, you know, they're, they're a big animal. They're a powerful animal. They can move very quickly from, you know, nothing to very fast. So I think uh, fear, particularly in a lot of older folks who may have ridden uh, a lot when they were younger, um, hadn't ridden for 20 years and then come back in, I think... Uh, addressing the fear and actually helping the riders to stay calm and doing some just some basic things like breathing, I think, is incredibly important. Yeah. And I've, I've often told folks when they've come down and introduced themselves to me when I'm judging, and you can see that they're really not breathing as they're talking to me. Yep. And I'll say, look, just you just do some breathing now, even before you go down there. Remember to breathe and enjoy this. Yes. And I think that's really important. And and I think a lot more emphasis should be placed on on being aware of how a rider's going and their impact on how the horse is. From a from a mental health point of view as well. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly an interesting study, isn't it? That as soon as the handler's heart rate went up, the horse's heart rate went up just from the anticipation, not because anything happened, but because there was anticipation no. there. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and I think that's because that the part in the brain, the amygdala, which enough is fairly small, but in, in horses is very big relative to their size. Mm. That that flight thing is such a key one. And, you know, we're also, we get impacted by fight flight as well. So if the horse does something that frightens us, then we're triggered to some to some extent. Yes. And if we're then really frightened, I think the horse is then going, well, they're looking for a leader at that point. And if you're really frightened and they're really frightened, then you've potentially got a dangerous situation. Yep, yep, yep. And I think we have to be aware that, uh, that of course, they can move so quickly to be very cognizant of how we're going. Um, and I think some riders are better at remaining calm and some horses are more hot and some horses are more cold. But again, having that right fit, yep. so it fits the rider. Because mm-hmm. uh, a, a, a spooky or a, or a hot horse is probably not going to be good with a more fearful rider. Yep, yep. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. Okay, that's certainly something to think about. Jill, have you got a book that you'd like to recommend for our listeners, something that's going to complement their training? Oh, well, look, I think for, for those, um, it's also about managing horses as well. And if, if you're fortunate yes. enough to have horses on a property, I uh, follow Jane Myers on keeping um, horses on small properties. And it's, it gives a really good idea on, on how to manage horses because I think we've got to be aware of what's best for the for the land and also what's best for the horses. And um, I follow what she does um, quite a bit with my own property setup. 
and I know not everyone's fortunate enough to have that, but if you do, to make sure you're managing in the best possible way for both the health of the horse and also for the health of the property. Yeah. And she's got some amazing um, uh, understanding and she's done some, a lot of research into this. And I, I think it's it certainly helps in so you don't get as many bear patches in your land and those sorts of things. Yep, yep, no, that's good. All right, what are you looking forward to now, Jill? You know, your regular students that you're, you're coaching and... Oh, look, I enjoy coaching. I, I much prefer coaching to judging. I always struggle with a judge not wanting to go into coaching mode. Um, <laughs> I much prefer coaching. <laughs> yep. But you can do something to help folks. You can actually be quite proactive. Well, coaching is solution-orientated, isn't it? You know, judging is <laughs> is uh, you've got to look for the problems and justify your scores, whereas coaching is a lot more solution-orientated. Yes, yes. And, uh, yeah, so I, my, my preference is to coach. Um, Absolutely, I much prefer that because you can actually, as you say, you you can focus on something to help the horse and yep. to help the rider. So mm-hmm. I really enjoy doing that. I also um, have now got a couple of Irish cobs. I uh, went to Ireland last year and had just wanted to ride an Irish cob on a beach, and mm-hmm. I did that and then fell in love with the, the breed. And then whilst I was there, I went to a uh, stud recommended to me in Ireland, Candy Stud, and then bought two Irish cobs, which have um, I've now got two three-year-old Irish cob mares on my property. One of whom is at a foal, so I've got a lovely. Um, oh, he's coming up to two-month-old uh, colt now, and it's just lovely having. Uh, I, it was sort of on my bucket list. I always wanted to have a foal. Yep. Now I'm going to get two, hopefully all being well. Good. And it's just yep. lovely seeing foals and and starting off with such a young horse. I've, I've had a weanling before, but never, never from birth. So it's yes. it's. Just marvellous. And I also want to do some driving. I know nothing about driving. But, again, that's kind of on my bucket list, and these horses, I think, will be um, really up for that. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's interesting watching their temperament difference too, having never having had cold bloods before. It's uh, it's interesting, uh, and I'm, I'm loving it. It's, it's just great. Good, good. So, Jill, just in a few sentences, summarise your philosophy with horses. Um, oh, what would I say in a few Enjoy your time with them mm. and don't take them for granted. Yep. Uh, what else would I say? I think look, enjoyment is, is the key thing. I, I see many people who don't seem to be enjoying their horses uh, and I think to actually be to be grateful for the time you have with them and, and to have that relationship, don't take it for granted and, and remembering why you're in the sport. Uh, for whatever reason, if, if you're just a, uh, a rider who's just riding a horse on, on the weekend or you're competing at various levels, I would hope that underneath it all you're actually enjoying this. Now, there's going to be days when you don't, inevitably, perhaps to all of us, but if fundamentally you enjoy building that relationship, you enjoy being with a horse and riding a horse, you're always going to be going um, okay even, even during the tough times. So... I think that's what I'd say. Yeah, I'm sort of thinking because, you know, earlier on you said you ask people what made you get into the sport in the first place if they are having a bit of a tough time. So I think you've just got to keep remembering that, you know, about the joy you had when you first started with horses and you've got to keep coming back to that and keep remembering that connection that you're getting, that feeling. And I think if you can sort of keep coming back and remembering that, then um, that's just magic, yeah. I would agree. And if that's your focus rather on what, score you've got or mm. what ribbon you've got or what yep. colour it is, yep. if your focus is on building that relationship, then you're always going to be building on that. Oh, there's going to be days and we've all had them as riders when it just 
you know, something is just not working. It worked well yesterday, but for whatever reason, the horse isn't understanding and maybe we're not in the right frame of mind at the time we're riding. We're all going to have days like that to know, okay, they will pass. And if, if they're not, get some, get some coaching, get some instruction. It might be something that you're not seeing that someone else on the ground can see uh, what's occurring. Yep. But if you're focusing on that training process or you're, you're focusing on just enjoying the relationship and going out for a ride with the horse or just having them in the paddock and actually just um, a number of people have them as paddock ornaments and that's fine. If they're enjoying that relationship with the horse and they're looking after it, yep. then you're always going to be ahead. You, there's, there's nothing... Uh, in that sense, you're always going to be enjoying your time with them. And I think that's where I do see some folks going wrong when they get so distressed, when they miss out on X, whether it's a championship or a, or a first or something they needed in order to qualify, then uh, that can really pull them down. And I think they can lose the perspective of why they're doing this sport in the first place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's all a bonus, isn't it? The, the ribbons and the championships and the qualifying and everything else is all just a bonus. Yeah. Yes, and knowing horses, horses can die on us. It, it, it sure. does happen. That, sure. uh, if, if they're there in their world, then let's let's enjoy that and let's let's celebrate the capacity that we we've um, fortunate enough to have these wonderful animals and and work with them in various ways in whatever your sport is. It's great. It's, yeah. it's um, what, what keeps me going in this industry. <laughs> okay, now Jill, how can people contact you? Okay, um, uh, best contact for me is uh, they can contact me by email. It's just uh, Buckfield at outlook.com or my mobile phone number is 0475 Okay. And the other thing too, Jill, is that'll be on Horse Chats. So it'll be horsechats.com slash Jill Buckfield or horsechats.com. Go to there and search for Jill or search for Buckfield and you'll get that. Yeah. Jill, thanks for talking to us today. Um, enjoyed that. I'd like to talk to you in a little bit more detail about the importance of the rider's mental outlook when they're riding. That would be great if we can come back and talk about that sometime in the future. But meanwhile, thanks for everything today and thanks for your time. Sure, thank you. I'm happy to talk again later. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.